0: So uh, if you would, turn in your Bible to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. I hope you were able to be in the Word this week. That this is not the first time you're in the Word the entire week because you're starving this morning. If it is, and that's not how the Lord planned it. He'd love for you to be in His Word each day. We've got a way that you can do that. There's a trifold there on the welcome table. Grab one on your way out. It'll help guide you through the Word of God morning and night or all in the morning, however it works for you, that you might grow and your understanding of the Lord and of his word and his principles, and really have a, a continuous understanding from the Old and New Testament to help you become sanctified. That's how the Lord works in your life, you know, uh, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So let, uh, let that be the case for you. We're going to continue study today, uh, God's plan for a healthy church. Uh, there won't be any, uh, any uh, background slides, but I'll give you the, the tips for the notes. If you're taking notes today, you can find those in the back of your bulletin. This is a study through the book of 1 Corinthians, and of course, uh, the resurrection transformation is our topic, and a new body is, uh, is specifically what Paul's going to talk about. There was an atheist in a Midwest town who uh, delighted himself in mocking those around him who were believers. In particular, there was a little church adjacent to a large field that was owned by this atheist, and in order to be as irritating as possible, he decided he would work that particular field on Sunday. Through the course of the summer, he worked the field and finally came to harvest time. And after harvesting, he penned a letter to the editor of the local paper. And he said, quote, all through the summer, I've worked my field on Sunday to do two things. One, to irritate this little church while they think they're worshiping someone who does not exist. And two, to show that all the while I did that, nothing bad happened to me. And not only that, now that it's September, I have more bushels of corn per acre as those farmers who attended the church and wouldn't work their fields on Sunday. So I violated the Lord's day and still grew good corn. Doesn't that prove that there isn't a God? The response from the local editor was interesting. Quote, no, he said it doesn't prove there is no God. It simply proves that God doesn't always settle his accounts in September. (laughs) The passage we're going to look at today has to do with some mockers. And you're going to see that early on in the passage. And last time we were together, we we just really introduced this new section. And so we would like to read together with you, starting at verse 35 of Chapter 15. And we'll read through verse 49. We'll allow the Holy Spirit to go to work in the reading of his word. Picking up at verse 35, I'll be reading from the New American Standard. It says, but someone will say, see where we are? But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Verse 36, you fool. This is Paul's answer. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow you do not sow the body which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of weed or of something else. Verse 38, but God gives it a body just as he wished and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. Verse 40, there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun, another of glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star and glory. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown a perishable body. It's raised an imperishable body. Verse 33, it's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. Verse 44, it's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body there is also a spiritual body verse 44 so also it is written the first man Adam became a living soul the last Adam became a life-giving spirit however the spiritual is not first but the natural then the life then the spiritual verse 47 the first man is from the earth earthly the second man is from heaven Verse 48, as the earthly, so also are those who are earthly, and as the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we'll also bear the image of the heavenly. Let's stop right there. And if you've got a jacket on and a tie, you're welcome to lose both of them. As we saw last time, a bodily resurrection is very basic to Christian doctrine. We took a survey, really, of those things last time. We won't do that again. But we saw in a number of selected passages that there's this inseparable connection between our spirit and our body. God made us both here, and he's going to bring that to perfection at the resurrection of the just or the first resurrection. And we saw in many places that the scriptures indicate that the Holy Spirit is the pledge or the assurance or the first fruits that this resurrection and transformation will actually come to pass. Now, just obviously questions come up. When we think of that doctrine through, because as we said last time, the resurrection of a dead body is still the resurrection of a dead body. And knowing what we know about war and natural disaster and pestilence causes us to wonder about the humanly uncountable number of the dead from the beginning of time. And think what Paul is proposing here really is the world's largest jigsaw puzzle. And sometimes those doubts turn into mocking questions, and sometimes they're legitimate questions. And the scriptures do a wonderful job of answering many of the most common questions about what happens to the body when we die and what happens to the spirit when we die. And we looked at some of those passages last time. And when people wonder about the resurrection of cremated bodies or bodies similarly dispersed, we should remember that God told Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, by the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the ground Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So just remember this, that's the normal temporary state of everybody until the resurrection. And what is that state? Completely broken down to its most original parts, and that's earth. And that would be the normal state for everyone who's been dead for any length of time. So the Lord made us from earth, and he made the earth. So he knows how to resurrect us. So the body really isn't a problem. And as far as the temporary state of the spirit after physical death while waiting on the resurrection, Jesus is teaching from Luke 16, and we looked at this last time. And if you weren't here, you can read that or you can check online. Luke 16, 19 through 31, Lazarus and the rich man give us some very important clues, and I'll give you those that we just summed up last time without reading the scriptures. The temporary body that we're given appears from that passage, which as we saw is not a parable. It's taught in that form, but Luke doesn't introduce it as a parable. He just says there was a rich, man named La- a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. And he just tells a story. He tells a story about what happened after they died. And so we can come away, I think, with Jesus understanding Jesus' intent here, which is this is actually how it is. It's not an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is an earthly story. It has a heavenly meaning, but it's an actual story that occurred. And so what we saw was that this, the uh, temporary body that's given after death, as we wait on the resurrection— appears to be recognizable because everybody knew who everybody was. And even the rich man who was in hell knew who Abraham was and he knew who Lazarus was and he called him by name. There also appears to be a desire to drink and perhaps eat. And so we see that because he asks for some relief and he asks Lazarus to bring it to him. So that body, that temporary body desires those things. Uh, nothing appears to be able to change, to be able to change the location of the spirit, either heaven or hell after death. No interaction in between, no refreshing of anybody, none of that, because that's forbidden. And even the unredeemed, we saw there, will know that God has the power to resurrect because the rich man in hell says, hey, could you please send Lazarus back from the dead? Let him talk to my family. They'll come to faith. And, uh, and he was corrected and said, listen, if he won't believe the prophets, he's not going to believe if someone comes back. So it wasn't even a question, hey, if you can make him come back, just send him back. You can do it. So a lot of things, a lot of lights turn on. At the instant death occurs. And then obviously, this body is temporary because we've talked about what occurs, as we've seen throughout the scriptures, what occurs at the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. A physical body fit for eternity is given to everyone who's ever lived. We saw last time, I think we can say with confidence, regardless of what happens to the physical body at death or after death, if the Lord can form a man from the earth, he can find all the parts. And then everyone can say with Job, whether they want to or not, Job nineteen twenty six. even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I shall see God whom he says, I myself shall behold whom my eyes will see and not another. Job was very convinced that he would see his Lord with his own physical body. He understood that even then. So it's just very, very uh, basic to Christianity, the resurrection of the body. And everyone will be able to say whether they like to or not with Job, you will see those things. And believers in particular can say with certainty with Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 4, I'd have this on the screen, but we can't do it. Verse 4 says this, 1 Corinthians 5 4, or 2 Corinthians rather, 5 4. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So there's a desire to be out of this out of this uh, corrupted physical body and into one that isn't corrupted. We want to be clothed by it. Verse 5 says, Now he who. Let's see, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the spirit as a pledge. So God put that desire in your heart and give the Holy Spirit as a pledge that that was going to happen. Therefore, always being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage. I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So Paul just gives his preference, which is the preference of every believer, I think. We desire to be at home with the Lord. I mean, we have some things on earth that get their, hook, their hooks on us from time to time, right? But in general, I think, and on the whole, our desire is to be with the Lord, to be absent from this body. We groan along with those who've come before. We desire to have that body that's perfect. So for the believer to be absent from the physical body, just to, some takeaways here. As it returns to the earth, so you die. Your physical body returns to the earth and awaits its physical resurrection, which the Lord has promised. Is to be present, clothed in a temporary heavenly body that, like we saw from Lazarus and the rich man, one that's recognizable, one that has some desires, those kinds of things, and awaiting the first resurrection. So I think you know you just kind of put those verses together. You get a pretty nice picture. The Lord answers some very common questions about what occurs after death, and what we desire to occur, and what we look forward to as we still live. So those legitimate questions, as they are addressed by Scripture, really provide for us a wonderful hope, right, and a joy that is really untouchable, does it not? I mean, if you think about that, you are secure. You will be resurrected. A believer is going to be resurrected with a wonderful new body, and that is a secure hope. You have a down payment called the Holy Spirit, and that's never going to take be taken away from you. So, legitimate questions, legitimate answers. And then there's some mocking questions, okay? They're not the questions that are, are in some way trying to be answered. They're just mocking this whole idea of the resurrection. And Paul has spent his first 32 ver- 34 verses, really, verifying the reality of a bodily resurrection and why everything centers on Christ coming out of the grave. The forgiveness of sin, the hope that's in this, in this world in Christ, uh, the, the actual wrapping up of all things and bringing all dominion, power, and authority all underneath the foot of Christ and delivering that to the Lord, all the enemies of God bringing brought into subjection, all keying on Christ being raised from the grave. And then he's the first fruits and what did it say? And then those who are Christ's at his coming. So everything keys on Christ. Those are in Corinthian church. Some of them were saying the dead don't raise. And, and so Paul said, listen, if the dead aren't raised, Christ isn't raised. And if Christ isn't raised, you're still in your sin. And your faith is useless. So everything keys on the resurrection. So now Paul comes back here to, okay, what is the physical, what is physically going to occur when the body is raised? Now, yes, everything keys on Christ. But what, that's, what is that going to look like in the future? And that's the whole point, and Paul brings it back. And then he gets these mocking kinds of questions. What's the question? Well, the dead are not raised. So, you know, what's going to happen? And so the context of Paul's comments here are towards those who are denying the bodily resurrection. And although we found wonderful encouragement in Paul's teaching, some haven't, and so they say this. Look back in your copy, verse thirty-five. But someone will say, "How were the dead raised? With what kind of body are they going to come?" And you can tell that that's kind of the that's kind of the inflection, because Paul doesn't say, "Oh, hey, good question. Hey, let's let's get to that." Those are the mockers. Okay. Sure, people are going to rise, Paul. Sure they are. How can people possibly rise when their bodies have completely rotted away sure paul how's that going to happen oh okay paul how are they going to get out of the ground what kind of body would arise from a heap of decomposed rubbish that's what he that's what they're saying how are the dead raised and so that's mockingly asking about the mechanics here's your first stop in your notes the mechanics of the process how are they raised what's the mechanics of that how are they going to get out of the ground and then they say this yeah and what kind of body is that going to be And so they mockily asked that question. They said, you know, what, what would the person look like? Okay. So that's the form. What form will they take? How are they even going to get out of the ground? And when they do, what are they going to look like? And so that's right where these critics are. See, they think this is some kind of joke. You mean, God's going to go over all the debris of the earth and, and start sorting out, you know, what goes where and, you know, and there's, there's no way anybody could do that. And even, even if, He would do it. What kind of final product was that going to be? That would be yuck. How ridiculous is that, Paul? That's the idea, see? So Paul answers everyone in the Corinthian church and everyone who has come later and mocks the resurrection, and he does uh, answer the question as well. He's going to get to the actual physical answers of it. He's going to give the mechanics, and he's going to give them the form. But he's going to say first, he's going to say, listen, you fool. These are stupid questions. And Paul is being blunt, and he isn't just saying that these are stupid questions, he's making it clear that he finds such arguments worthless, and the people who are making them are stupid. It's directed to the individual. It's not just saying stupid questions, let's skip to the next one. Obviously, listen, to Paul, not all opinions and questions are created equal, unlike in our world today, where we have to have dialogue with people who make no sense whatsoever, okay? And we can't just say. That's foolish. I'm not talking about it. We gotta we gotta address it. Okay, because that's where our society is. Paul just says, that's foolish. We're not gonna, you know, that's foolish questions. It's mocking questions. And the word is literally senseless one. You have no sense at all. You guys have no understanding. And then he makes it clear that what he's been saying about the resurrection has its parallels in something that many of them have done their entire lives. And it's gonna answer the questions of mechanics, and it's gonna answer the questions of form. So look at the next part of the verse. He says, you fool, and then look there. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So you're going to put him right back to an agrarian understanding. The sowed seed, which was destroyed, at least in the form in which it was sown, and that act of sowing or that burial of the seed, that's too good to pass up for Paul. I mean, that's a great illustration for him. It was so similar to what follows death among mankind that Paul can speak of it as the grain is dying. And as a footnote, that's what went on in the spiritual realm, too, wasn't it, beloved, when you came to faith? I mean, in order to be saved, one of the spiritual illustrations we see from Scripture is that we are baptized into his death. When we go and we, we physically follow through with scriptural baptism, what do we say when they go underwater? Buried in the likeness of his? And re- you don't know because when you're underwater, that's what I'm saying. But thank you. <laughs> If you're out here, you know, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. See, that's a picture of the spiritual reality that you died. Adam died and Christ rose, the new you. You're fused together with Christ. See, isn't that great? And so Romans 6, 8, 9 says, if we have died with Christ, and it's implied that we have if we're born again, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer has mastery over him. See, you were dead spiritually, and the nature of Adam, that was your identity, was buried with Christ. And when Christ rose, you rose too, to new life. But there has to be the death of the old man in order for the new man to come to life, see? And that's the whole point. And so in Romans 6, Paul isn't actually talking about water baptism but it's in his mind as an illustration to help them understand what actually occurred, see? And then John 12, 24, speaking of his death, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then he immediately connects this uh, to what's going on and what he wants his disciples to do. He says this, he who loves his life, what? Loses it, right. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it unto life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So let's sum that up. If you won't give up your life, you can't receive eternal life. See? And from a service perspective, you have to have your eyes on the first resurrection and the world to come to be of any use in the world that's now. If anyone that's what Jesus said, if anyone serves me, Jesus said he has to follow me into death and into life. You have to be under you have to understand, you got to die, you got to rise, and there's going to be a physical death and a physical resurrection unto life eternal for you to be any good in this life. Let's see. So, it's a very consistent theme in the New Testament. It's part of salvation, it's part of service, and it's part of the process of a physical bodily resurrection. There's a death And then a glorious resurrection. So, verse 36 says this. You can look in your copy of God's word. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain. Perhaps of wheat or something else. So here's resurrection transformation principle number one. Now I'll say it and then I'll wait so you can write it down if you're a note taker. The miracle of planting and harvest illustrates bodily resurrection that's paul's first point so you want to talk about transformation paul says the miracle of planting and harvest illustrates bodily resurrection you've done this your whole life and yet you mock that there's going to be a bodily resurrection and what kind of form will it take and how are the mechanics going to work listen you see this every day you put the seed in and out comes the plant so the miracle of planting and harvest illustrates the bodily resurrection that's principle number one This is the answer to the mechanics question okay how's that going to work okay well you see that all the time the seed has to be destroyed if the new life is to appear now mark this and maybe this is paul's point familiarity with the marvel of harvest has dulled the sense of wonder of it would you agree i mean think about it if we didn't know that that's what happened how would we ever guess that that was what was going to occur why do the roots go down and the plant comes up the seed If you plant the seed and you dig it up, you have little kids, you know, when you plant a garden, sometimes they go out there maybe, you know, two weeks later and they're like digging around you're like, oh, you know, and they just see this old nasty seed and it's got, it's broken open and all that stuff and nothing. They're like, dad, why isn't there a plant? There is a plant, son. It's trying to come, but you expose it. It's not helping anything. All right. So, you know, they know this already, see, but if you didn't know that, how would you guess that process? You wouldn't guess it, would you? So Paul says, why in the light of this? should we regard as incredible the transformation of a dead body because it happens all the time as you plant and sow and, and you harvest and that word, come to life is a marvelous Greek verb. Listen, mark this. Okay. It's present passive indicative that come to life. Zoya poiete, present passive indicative, literally it should be rendered is quickened, is quickened to life. The verb is passive and not middle. In other words, here, catch this. Okay. The seed does not come to life by itself. Passive means there's a force acting on it. The seed doesn't come to life by itself. God gives it life. So it says this. It says, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow does not sow the body which is to be. The body which is to be. Catch this, okay? It's important to note that what dies is nothing like what appears that's pretty important when you think about the bodily resurrection. Okay. It's not a bunch of zombies coming up out of the ground. What dies is not what comes out. Just like when you plant a seed, what comes out is not what was there. Okay. A dead looking bare, dry seed is put into the ground. And what comes up is this green plant, amazing and beautiful. See, and this answers the question of form. So we get the question of mechanics, which is every time you see this, you see it in a, in a farm application you plant a dry dead seed and then it transforms it comes up and then the form of it is it's beautiful it wasn't before it is now and here paul really is showing really sowing if you would seeds of the obvious which is that the body that is raised is incomparably more glorious than the body which is buried and so he and he's also setting up this very important point of god's oversight of all of this look at verse 38 but god gives it a body this is so great just as he wished and to each of the seeds of a body of its own. When you ever see this as he wished or according to his pleasure, understand that that is God being limitless, okay? He does what he pleases, and he has the ability to do whatever he wants to do. That's how you can read that, okay? In other words, plants don't rise, which is illustrative of people who do not rise, of their own volition, nor do they do it by chance. They do it because that's the way God's determined it shall be. So God can do anything he wants. And when it comes to passing out bodies, and if God can take some little seed and give it a body that's, uh, that's resurrected and comes out of the ground, which is in no way like the seed, then don't underestimate the body God can give you in the resurrection. That's the point. God can give anyone, any body that he wants to give to them. anybody. Anybody. And this is God gives, and this is very important, God gives his present active indicative. It indicates it's the habitual practice of God to do this, okay? It's the continuum reality. God has set it up, and he's constantly involved with it. God is always giving seed bodies that way, just as he wished, and he's wished it in the aorist active indicative, signifying it's a decisive action. Literally, he's determined it according to his own pleasure, Once for all, God planned what should be, and all things continue to follow in that plan. In other words, there's a regularity as this plan unfolds, but no uniformity because God gives its own body to every seed, see? So God is actively involved in it, and he set it up that way. That's why God can say he creates. That's why children come from him, and yet it is the process that he set up. Both of them are true. He's active in it, and he set it up according to his good pleasure. So plant life is always on hand then to teach us the illustration of mechanics and form for the mockers that come and say, there's no resurrection. We sow nothing more than just a seed, whether it's corn or anything else, common to all seeds. And mark this, when the seed's sown, catch this, there's no hint of the plant with its stem and its leaves and its flowers of what that will look like. But they come. See, if you ever accidentally dumped out your seeds and they're kind of laying on a shelf and you're like, what is that? Now, if it's a bean, it's a bean, right? I mean, you can put it in the pot and cook it and eat it, or you put it in the ground and you know it's a bean. But the other seeds, it's not so clear, is it? For instance, you know, have have you ever um, ever planted asparagus? What does a full-grown asparagus plant look like? I mean, I'm talking about full-grown. It's this huge fern. It's like about, it's like this big. It's gigantic. And it has these tiny, teeny, tiny little black seeds. And when you buy asparagus plants, uh, asparagus seeds, you plant them and say you can't eat these for three years. Like, three years? Anyway, you plant them in the ground, and they're tiny little black seeds, small as a speck. And then out of the ground comes these little teeny shoots. They're very small, about the lead of a pencil big. And they grow up in this huge, this huge fern. And if you just walk by later in the, in the summer, you'd look at that like, what is that? But when, as that matures, the next couple years, pretty soon when they first come out in the spring, there are these spikes that we know and love so much. And you just cut them off at the ground and you go. But you would never be able to tell that when you put that in the ground. But I mean, if that got spilled on your shelf, you're like, what is that? That looks like a, you know, some kind of seasoning, like a you know, celery seed or something. And you put it in the ground, it grows this beautiful plant. That's exactly the point that Paul's trying to make, see. And here's another thing to remember. You know, the seed produces that particular plant and no other. Okay? The Lord dictates what's going to happen. And you, you don't plant a, an asparagus plant and then a, a carrot comes out. The Lord knows what he's doing. He's given it certain characteristics, and they, and that produces what it's supposed to produce—exactly what it's supposed to be. Okay. Now, just to illustrate this wide variety, at God's disposal, Paul says in verse verse thirty-nine. Look at verse thirty-nine, if you would. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. Now look at verse forty. There's also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. Stop right there. Now, Paul brings the illustration of mechanics and form home now. He just continues to expand on it. So he moves from the grain and plants to flesh. And flesh, all flesh is not the same kind of flesh. Here's transformation principle number two. And we've already said this before, so you can just copy this down. God has limitless capacity to create. There's your first stop, okay? God has limitless capacity to create. So, you sum this up. He can make fleshly bodies that are fit for heaven, just like he makes fleshly bodies that are fit for earth. He has limitless capacity to create, and he can make fleshly bodies fit for heaven, just like he makes fleshly bodies fit for earth. They're both fit for their location, but they're not the same. Paul's making the thought clear that there can be a difference between the kind of body we have before the resurrection and the kind that we're going to have after. One is for earth and one is for heaven. But God is limitless in his ability to create, so that shouldn't be a problem for us to understand that. In other words, he has no problems, God doesn't, when it comes to manufacturing. He does not operate on the assembly line basis. See, he's not stuck with any model. He can make any, in any limitless capacity, anything he wants to make, and he can make any flesh he wishes to make. Just like he wants to make it, and he can make it fit for whatever environment it's supposed to be in. He can make a fleshly environment fit for the earth, and he can make a fleshly body fit for the environment of heaven. And that's not a problem with God because it's a limitless ability to create. And Paul is moving to bring the point home. Obviously, because God is not limited, he can make flesh to last for eternity in glory. And he can make flesh to last, beloved, for eternity in punishment. God can create it. It's going to look similar. The flesh that grew on earth is going to be similar in form because we've seen that in other passages to the one that we see, in, the one's going to be in heaven. But it's going to be made to endure whatever it's supposed to be, wherever it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be in glory with the Lord forever. It will endure there forever. It's going to have appetite because there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb, and you're going to enjoy that. And there's going to be a body fit for punishment forever. To reject Christ as Savior and to stay in that state in death, to not be joined together with Christ in his death, would be to move into eternity To be planted into the ground, to go back to earth, to be resurrected with a new body fit for eternity in heaven. That's just very simple. I think we can make that connection. Scripture is very clear about that. It's not not hidden away. We looked at many passages like that before. Now catch this. Look at um, the last part there of uh, verse 40. But the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. Here's transformation principle number three. Just like the plant that comes from the seed... Is much more glorious and unexpected than the seed. So is the heavenly body that comes from the earthly one. That's the point. The glory of the heavenly is one. glory of the earthly is another. So there's this great body that came, that God formed. Just like when you put the seed in the ground, there's this beautiful plant that comes out. And there's a glory connected to that. And there's a glory connected to the one he's going to make for heaven too. So just think about that. From our perspective, we look at a flower. Okay. And, and uh, we we it from a seed or a bulb and it comes up and many of your flowers are probably coming up and it's amazing and so different and so much more glorious than the seed was, but it's gone in a week or a month. And then we look at a star and there's no comparison. Is there, I mean, it's been there since God created the heavens in all its glory. So not downplaying God's creative genius in any way. But there's a big, big difference. And that's the point. The difference between the eternal resurrected body, which is fit for heaven, is going to be different. See? The glory of the resurrection body can be infinitely beyond anything we can conceive on this earth. It's going to be different. See, than what we can understand here, there's glory here. Just like this beautiful flower that comes out. It's glory came from a seed. But what the Lord created in the heavens has lasted for. All the time since he created it. So. Not only is there a significant difference between the glory of the earthly resurrection from seed to plant. And not only is there a tremendous difference between the earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. There's also a difference between the glory of the different heavenly bodies. And that's Paul's point. Verse 41. Look at there if you would. There's one glory of the sun. Another glory of the moon. Another glory of the stars. For stars different from star and glory. And it appears that the idea here is one Paul only briefly touches on here, but it's very widely addressed elsewhere. But just like there is a wide variety of life on earth and all that life displays glory in its all, all of its differences, heavenly creations display that as well. So you just kind of set the stage. Listen, there's going to be this glorious heavenly body you're going to receive, and it's going to be similar to the form of the one that you had on earth, but made to last forever in the environment of heaven or in hell, whatever that might be, see? And even in that, all believers who are gonna get these new bodies, they will not be the same, just like the heavenly bodies are not the same with, for each other. I mean there's you know, if you go to uh, if you go to the Christian museum, you can sit in the planetarium and if you if you look at uh, the display that talks about uh created cosmos, you will see them try to put the distances in space into perspective for us to kind of grasp with our minds because it's so vast. So they'll break it down into, into cubes. They'll tell you how big the cube is. And they'll tell you how many cubes it is to this next star. And there are stars that are relatively close to us that if we took it and replaced our sun, we would actually be in our orbit, we would actually be inside the star. And so there's, there's beauty all around us. God's made this wonder for us to look at. And they're not the same. All the stars are not created the same. They're on all the same size. They're not all the same color. And so that's the idea then. He says, listen, not only is your life in heaven, the new body is going to be different, but it's also going to be different from each other. It's not all the same. Transformation principle number four. Things that God has created in the heavens that we see vary from one another in the glory they display. So don't think that every resurrected person will be exactly the same, because they won't. And that's Paul laying this groundwork of, listen, there's a resurrected body, but not, gonna, not get a bunch of clones, okay? There's going to be some differences between them. There'll be significant differences, as there are with the planets and stars. That's why Paul pointed them out. There's a difference between our moon and our sun, and they're both beautiful, but there's huge differences between them in their properties and how they reflect light or give light. And Paul says, this, this is how it's going to be. So he's just taking you know, the form and the mechanics step even further. Understand that the Lord can make anything he wants. He's made beautiful creations here. We see the seed die. We see this beautiful thing come out of the ground. We understand that our body is very much like that. shouldn't surprise us that the body dies and decomposes, and out of it comes this new form fit for heaven but there's significant differences now with this form that's going to be in heaven so he's still speaking about glory here and if you think about Jesus' resurrected body if that's a great example for us he will, if you think about this now for all eternity, he's going to display the glory of God in the fact that he is incarnate forever he has a human body, isn't that marvelous he became incarnate about 2,000 years ago. Before that, he was not. But for all eternity, he'll display God's glory by being in an incarnate body. That's marvelous, isn't it? Forever risen Messiah. I think that's marvelous. And he's going to give God glory with what? Put your hand, put your finger in my scars, right? Put your hand, Thomas, in my side. Forever, he will give God glory for the punishment that was dealt on him and by his stripes were healed. Forever, he'll give God glory. So that shouldn't surprise us, right? the fact that he always lived to do the Father's will and so on, all that forever will be the case. That's who we will worship and who we will fellowship with and he will give God, God glory in that respect for endless days for all eternity. And so it's not surprising then when Paul says, listen, just like this body guy's gonna give you in heaven, it's gonna be glorious. It's not all, not all the glories are gonna be the same, see? Well, look at that. And each believer will differ. Each, <laughs> if you'd have said that like, Six seconds ago, (laughs) we just stopped right there, I think, all right? Each believer will differ in glory uh, that they display. So 2 Corinthians 4.17, and I have these on the screen, but I want you to think about these, okay? Think about this in light of what Paul just said about the glorious bodies that we're going to receive in heaven at the resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4.17. This is as good as illustration, I think, as any place. You can copy some of these down in your notes if you like. So 2 Corinthians 4.17 as you think about the differences in glory of the heavenly body, okay? Here's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us, catch this, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. What's happening, beloved, in that, in, that, in that scenario? You have some temporary what? Trouble, right? You're having some trouble. Temporary light affliction, that's what the scripture describes it. I mean, we haven't resisted to the point of death. We have temporary light affliction. We have some trouble in this life. Maybe it's, maybe it's physical trouble. Maybe it's, maybe it's situations that you're in. Maybe relationships that you're in. Whatever that may be. Okay, For momentary light affliction is producing... What's it producing? An eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Verse 18. For while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, if you understand... If, in other words, if you see the eternal work at work in you when you're afflicted, then you'll know that you're being prepared to give God glory for all eternity in a better way than you ever could before the difficulty. That's why you can all things give thanks, right? That's why Romans chapter 5 says even in difficult times to give thanks because it's working this thing out in you and it's going to make you perfect. You know, That's the whole point. That's, God doesn't waste any affliction on you. He doesn't waste any hard times. Difficult things that you have to go through it doesn't waste any of that Why? because as you deal with it as scripture to prescribe for you, you are being prepared to give God glory for all eternity in a way you never could before the affliction or difficulty or hard time. Okay, God doesn't forget any of it. It's working in eternal weight of glory. In a better way than you could ever do before the difficulty in the new creation, you will be visible. Your obedience will be visible. What you had to deal with will be visible in proclaiming God's sufficiency in your hardship. Now, just a few other illustrations and we're going to close, okay? So, here's the thing. It's going to, I hope these illustrations motivate us to live in a certain way because the Lord has already said, just now through Paul, carrying the Holy Spirit carrying Paul along, that this new body that's going to be raised, they're not all going to be the same in glory, just like they aren't all the same in uh and the stars, of the sky, the moon, and all of that kind of thing. It, it's all going to be different. So Paul then gives some illustrations about how they should be different. Think about crowns, and we won't go through all those, but you know, righteousness, life, glory, the other crowns. I mean, the fact that some will receive them because they, they are at that threshold that allows them to receive them. They love disappearing, and we talked about that last time. What does that mean in your life if you really love Christ appearing? What will that look like? So crowns certainly identify believers from one another, won't they? Because not all will have those or have the ones that they think they're going to get. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. I love this. Behold, what's the rest say? I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. Well, that's not going to non-believers, beloved. That's going to those who know Christ, okay? Okay. Has every believer accomplished the same thing for the kingdom? If you think about what you've done, because that's what the reward is based on, no, they haven't. Of course not. Believers will differ in their rewards and thus in the glory they proclaim to God, revealed by the reward that they received, based on their obedience. So I think you can. I think you can make that connection. First Corinthians three fourteen: If any man's work which he's built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Talking about the bema seat judgment. So some are gold. Some things we build are gold and silver. And precious stones, or costly stones, and others wood, hay, and stubble. And we saw that in the Bemacy judgment, everything that was wood, hay, and stubble, that wing you threw up during that certain time in your life where you weren't in the word every day and you thought it was really great, and it gets destroyed. But some of the other stuff that maybe you thought wasn't that great, but that stays because it was, it was uh, gold, silver, and costly stones. See? And so not only does that stay, but there's also a reward because it stayed. See, So here's the question. Does everyone do the same amount of work? No. Does everyone throw up the same wings on their houses built out of the same material? No. And so will it be the same final result? No. Some escape with just their robe of righteousness, right? Some some don't get anything left, Just just the foundation, which was Christ. And on that, you build through what you do daily. And some of that doesn't stay at all. Some people just barely escape as though from a fire. That's what the scripture says, right? So Matthew six four, talking about giving. Jesus says, "So your giving will be done in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will what? Reward you openly. Is He going to do it on this earth? I haven't seen that happen too much. So when's it going to happen? Well, when we stand before Him, right? When He." He he measures out what you do. Does everybody give sacrificially? Does everyone give generously and faithfully? Now I didn't say does everybody give large gifts because that's not what the scripture says in Second Corinthians eight and nine. It just says generously, sacrificially, and faithfully. See, in the proportion that you've received, does everyone do that? No. So will everyone be rewarded the same for what they've given? No, they won't. The rewards are going to differ. So the glory will differ. And then verse five says this: When you pray. You're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. In other words, everybody thinks they're spiritual. That's their reward. Wow, they're really spiritual. They can really pray. But you, when you pray, go into inner room, close your door, pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you openly. When's that going to happen? Probably not here. The prayer warriors that are here at Berea. Who are they? We, we don't know, do we? Really? I'd like to say it's everybody. We're all prayer warriors, right? And we certainly were called to prayer when Elijah was so sick and, and the church joined in prayer with thousands of other people. But is that the course of our lives? That's the pattern that we, we go and we pray diligently about these things because the Lord says, pray without ceasing. That's right before the and everything give thanks part. This is the will of God. See, do we do that? No. So is it gonna be the same reward? No. The glory of the prayer warrior is going to be different from the non-prayer warrior in heaven. How about 1 Peter one three, And I'm, I'm stopping on this because I think it's important. You know, we, I think we understand the form. I think we understand the mechanics. But I think Paul's point here with the whole glory varies from glory is an important one that really translates back. So what do I do with all of this? See, how does this apply to me? 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And all God's people said, amen. For through his great mercy, he caused us to be born again uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all in the resurrection, right? When a, a crucified Christ, and non-raised Christ, is not a glorified Christ, and you're not glorified either. But the resurrection proved it was all true. See? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away now, No, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a, there's some reward set up. There's some inheritance set up and it's waiting. See in this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found to what result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See? So you persevering through the little bit of trial, you showing your faith is strong, even though things are not going like you hoped it would, and you're not in your position of your life that you thought you were going to be in. And maybe you've got some physical trials, and maybe you've got some people trials, and maybe you've got some some relationship trials, or whatever it is, okay? As you persevere through that, you are again building up this reserved-for-you inheritance that's going to be revealed, what? and result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of jesus christ whose jesus is of course but you wouldn't be able to do it had you not managed these things that the lord has given you in a way that honors him does everyone handle these things in a biblical way no so the glory is going to be different and it'll be visible again in the resurrected body because glory varies from glory in the heavenly planets and that's illustrative of the lord doing this marvelous work and preparing a body fit for heaven which will have different types of glory and, you know, think about Peter, and I'll, I'm going to read 1 Peter 4.12 in just a minute, if you're following me. But Peter went through some purification, didn't he? Acts chapter 5, verse 40, you know, the chief priests, after calling the apostles in, what they do to them? Do you remember? They flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. After they were just encouraged by Gamaliel to say, hey, listen, don't oppose this. I mean, if it's not real, it's going to fade away. And, uh, you know, if it is real, we're going to be found fighting against God. You know, these me, preaching Jesus. So don't oppose it. And they're like, okay. Then they go and take all the apostles in and they flogged. Okay, does it sound, you know, does it sound like they followed the advice? So they flogged him, and here's the thing. Peter and the apostles went on their way, verse 41, from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they'd been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. So Peter understood what it was like to suffer a little bit of persecution. I don't think any of us have taken a flogging for preaching to Christ, preaching the gospel. Peter understood this momentary light affliction, the difficult times you're going through, a great weight of glory. think Peter has a a way to magnify the Lord in a way that other people wouldn't? Absolutely but not in a way that you may not be able to it just depends on how you manage what the lord's given you see so peter can say first peter four twelve, beloved do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing was happening to you but to the degree that you share the sufferings of christ keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with what exaltation why because you did what you were supposed to do and now he's there and everybody knows and And he says, he gives you this reward, and you're just like, I don't deserve this. You accomplished this in my life. But you get to magnify him in a way you wouldn't ever magnify him before. Glory varies from glory. God's not creating a whole bunch of clones in heaven. What happens here matters. But when the body's planted in the ground, that's all the time you're going to have to accomplish whatever it is it's going to be. Okay? When he returns... And what will have happened by then? See, when, when uh, it says, at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. So what will have happened by the time uh, he's revealed? Well, the first resurrection will have happened, okay? You, you will have joined those, uh, you, you will have beat those to heaven who are alive on the earth and were born again just by just a, a twinkle of an eye, okay? So the, the first resurrection will have occurred. So for all eternity with your glorified body, you'll bring God glory to a way never have done before the trial then verse 14 says if you're reviled for the name of christ you're blessed and this just makes sense now doesn't it if the eternal body that's going to last forever is the one that really matters then living for that one is what is the most important correct so here's the thing if you're reviled for the name of christ you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of god rests on you the problem would be is if you're never reviled for the name of christ then you ought to be concerned Because if you name the name of Christ, at some point in time, somebody's going to say, ah, what a moron. You believe in the resurrection of the dead? Oh, yeah, what's going to be, a whole bunch of zombies running around? That should be the kind of interaction from time to time you're going to get if you know Christ. You name the name of Christ. And And Peter says this, verse 15. Now, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Okay, so... If you're getting in trouble because you are trouble, that's not rewarded. That's not going to be good. Okay. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. See, just like the sun and moon and stars differ from glory from one another, so will you. See, last one, Romans eight fifteen. For you've not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. This is you, adopted. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit is testifying actively whose you are, if you truly are born again. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed, here it is, we suffer with him so that we we also be, what? Glorified with him. See? God doesn't forget. He doesn't miss any of that. Faithful to proclaim the name of Christ. Faithful to stand up for Christ when it matters. Faithful to live faithfully in obedience. these, These things God remembers, See? Having a difficult time in your life, deal with it in thankfulness, deal with it in joy, see, in patience. Lord doesn't forget any of that, see. Will everyone be the same? No. Will their glory be the same? Absolutely not, because not everyone handles those things or learns to handle them early, as early as other people do, see. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, Paul says, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So in other words, the difficult times you're having on earth will fade to nothing when you, when you stand before the Lord and see all he's prepared for you. And that's just obvious, right? For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Even the creation is waiting for believers to be resurrected. I mean, it's just this whole thing that's looking forward to the fulfillment of what God had planned all along. And beloved, this isn't glory for our sakes, okay? And I don't want you to think, think somehow I'm thinking that, that this is going to be like us walking around like... Yeah, no, it's glory for his sake, the ability to worship him in such a way to say, these scar, you know, Paul said, I bear on my body, the marks of Christ all for you, right? All for you, the glory that you can get. That's all that's going to matter at that point. How much glory can you give to the Lord? How much can you reflect him? How much can you honor him? See, and this is how that happens. glory for his sake the reflection of the glory he has shared with us will put the attention back on the one who is truly worthy of glory see I don't think that this whole glory varies as somehow uh, an ego boost it isn't it's just a matter of encouraging you to live obediently so the Lord because the Lord has openly said over and over again he rewards those who diligently serve him so first 1 Corinthians 1541 back in your copy of God's word we'll wrap it up there is one glory of the sun another glory of the moon Another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So, you're saying, man, you went way off on that. How do we even know that's talking about the bodily resurrection of believers? Verse 42, look there. So also is what? The resurrection of the dead. So what are we talking about? We're talking about what we started talking about, which is the resurrection of the dead. When you die in Christ, body goes back to the earth and then the Lord is going to come and there's going to be this first resurrection and your body's going to be raised. That's what we're talking about. We weren't talking about planets at all. Paul says, I mean, we were using them as an illustration. What we're talking about is the resurrection of the dead. What is the mechanics of it and what's the form of it? That's what it looks like. Isn't that marvelous? So Paul, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body are they going to come? How can people possibly rise when their bodies have completely rotted away? Okay, Paul, how are they going to get out of the ground? And what kind of body is going to come out of a heap of decomposed rubbish? What a joke, Paul. You mean God's going to go over all the earth and just kind of rake it all up and just start putting it all back together? How absurd is that? And Paul says, how absurd is this when all around you are examples of God's ability to create and bring life from death and glory from decay? That's how absurd your questions are. You answer it every day in your garden. And you look up at the sky and you see the glory God's created. And you see all the different kinds of flesh fit exactly for what they're supposed to be fit for. Why should it surprise you that God can bring life from death? And why should it surprise you that he can make flesh fit for whatever he wants it fit for? Fish for the water. And birds for the air. And whatever. He's fit them. He has unlimited ability to do it. And the wisdom to apply it. So it shouldn't surprise us. How absurd is it to do you even have these questions, Paul says. God has limitless capability. This is the stupidity of the guy who says how he's gonna, you know, ever going to get these crummy little pieces and put it back together. That's absurd. Paul says, you know, God can do anything he wants, and the limits aren't there. Just like seeds vary, and earthly bodies vary, and heavenly bodies vary, and the sun and moon and stars have different glories, so resurrection bodies can have all the glory that is their own. And above all, the examples around us, God is not limited if he wills it. And accomplish it and we see it even in just a little examples around us amen that's all we have time for today all god's people said amen too hot so uh let's um let's bow in prayer paul's going to go and he's going to say it's in a perishable body so he's just going to start wrapping up everything he's taught so we're going to have a great time next week kind of closing out this whole section of the mechanics and the form of the resurrection it's going to be a joy to be together. I hope you're here with us. Lord, we thank you today for the opportunity to be in the word. We thank you for the joy that it brings us. We thank you for the reminder that you are uh, you're you're not limited by our imagination and that or our inability to figure out how you're going to do it. But even in that, um, honest answers, honest questions are answered in your word and we can dig in and find those things and have great Great joy to know that Paul says, hey, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And we long for that, and we long to be clothed in that eternal body. And so we, jo- we have joy with all of that. What should really terrify us, though, uh, Lord, and I pray that it will bring the terror into the hearts of those who sit here who don't know you and have never come to a right relationship t- with you through Jesus, who remain in a spiritually dead body headed for physical death and untreated will be headed for eternal death. But you have given that plan of salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal death. Saved from a punishment due to you that Christ took on the cross that you wouldn't have to pay. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You can do that right now. Right where you sit. You don't have to wait. You don't have some special words that you have to put together or some combination in your heart. Do you long to be free from your sin? Do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that what the scripture says about you is true? You don't even live up to your own expectations, let alone the one, of the God who made you. You know you've broken the Ten Commandments and a hundred other ones after that. And all you had to do was break one and you were guilty, but you break and broke more than that. And you're guilty. Do you believe that? Before the Lord, worthy of death and spiritually dead? And you're saying the same thing scripture says about you. That's confessing. You'll be free from your sins. Scripture says, to confess those sins to him. Repent. You want to change. You want a difference. So you want to turn your back on all of that. You can't do it on your own. You've tried it a hundred times. You tried to fix yourself, reform yourself, rebuild it, whatever. It just never works. You go right back to it. Scripture has a lot of ugly things to say about that. That We, can, we can't we uh, can change our stripes and, and, and a dog returns to, to its, its throw up. That's what we do apart from Christ. But Christ can save you. You can say the same thing. You confess your sins and ask the Lord to forgive you because he put it all on Jesus and believe that God put it on Jesus and then Jesus rose from the dead and proved that what he did was sufficient for you. He was your substitute. If you believe that, you can confess that right now. You'll be saved. It's your first step. second one is to follow in in baptism. But if you have confessed that today in your heart before you leave, there's a card right there in front of you in the chair. It's a response card. Please take it. Please fill it out. Let us know you were here. Tell us what you did. That we can pray for you i can pray for you we can get you hooked up with some discipleship so you can understand what it means to walk with the lord to be our joy to do that and lord for the rest of us as we understand that glory varies from glory and someday that we'll all we'll want is to bring you glory that you deserve and to, to worship jesus in the way that he deserves that lord help us to be about those obedience things now and suffer those light afflictions and and difficult people and and whatever it is and just do that as in the way you've prescribed for us and, and that way we will be able to glorify you forever because of these momentary light afflictions we have now. We pray this will be the case, that we're reminded of this. Uh, be reminded of this as we go about our life this week, that it might make a difference in us. We might not be uh, uh, ingrained and tracked where we are, but we'll be able to be moved to the, the vector of the Lord you would have us be on. And Lord, I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Who we long to see all God's people said.